0: Welcome to the second episode of Demobile Bail, and Senior Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Holmstone, and joining me, as always, is the Canadian for whom the word sorry means nothing already, Logan Saunders.
1: Good afternoon. Good
0: afternoon, Mr. Saunders, and as I was saying to you off-air before we started recording, I am so invested in this season already. Even though I can remember the final three, even though I can remember most of the boot order, I'm just so invested. It's just so good.
1: Yeah, I did remember... Pretty certain on remembering who went home uh, this episode. <laughs> it, it's easier when you, know the, when you know five people who aren't going to be executed that episode.
0: Yeah, I could definitely remember who went home this episode. From next week onwards, it gets a little bit fuzzy. I think I can remember who it is, but I'm not entirely confident. And it is going to get to the point later in the season where I go, oh, I really hope my
1: favourite doesn't go just yet. Just one more episode. I know they don't make it to the end, but...
0: (laughs) Yeah, so as I mentioned last week, this is a bit of a weird season for us because we've never gone back and recapped a season where, in theory, we know who goes home each week and we know the results of the season. However, luckily, our memories are a little bit fuzzy, so it's nice to go back and remind ourselves of how good this season was and how much of the good work that we always talk about in the live recaps was actually started in this season.
1: Yes, clearly. A lot of things get established here. We don't see as many suspicions. We don't check in constantly with everyone's suspicions in episode 2, in contrast to episode 1.
0: No, because we were too busy being distracted by one of the most iconic challenges that they've ever done. I could probably make an argument for this being an iconic challenge, or the most iconic one. I could probably make an argument for the Drunk Museum heist, or the Ostrich Maze, um, but I think that those three are my top three. Definitely. So previously, ten strangers met each other for the first time in the salt plains of northern Argentina, where one would have the task to sabotage the rest. They met llamas and lassoed money before dangling off a bridge in order of suspicion. Thibaut fainted and missed Tass task, drawing some suspicion of his own, but it was Ruth who was sent home. However, at the end of the last episode, she was given the chance to come back into the game.
1: I think what a lot of people don't remember is that pretty much this... In- Entire challenge, or like 99% of what we know about it, doesn't happen until the start of the second episode.
0: No, you get the kind of little taster of it at the end of the first episode, but you don't even find out the consequences or what she has to do until the start of the second one.
1: I'm curious what it was what people were thinking at the end of the first episode when it originally aired. Did they just assume that Ruth was going to get back into the game? Do they actually think that she was going to have a paint bomb exploded on her?
0: Yeah, there was absolutely no indication in the episode that there was even a paint bomb involved, so that made Mark's comment at the end of the last episode even funnier when he said that Ruth going was like a bomb dropped into the group.
1: (laughs) And what's even funnier, yeah, is that the group is a ticking time bomb, and that also blows up at the end of this challenge as the group divides themselves into two factions for good.
0: Yeah, we kind of alluded to this in the first episode recap, but I'd forgotten how fractious this group is. They divide in this episode, and they do not come back together for a while. It continues for quite a few episodes in this season of two factions bickering.
1: Yeah, and it really, that that division happens with this challenge with Ruth. I didn't realize how nasty it got with everyone figuring out whether or not to help Ruth. It was a very, very divisive idea.
0: Yeah, I don't think they'd ever consider doing a challenge like this again, because it really destroyed the group atmosphere, and they don't get it back.
1: Yeah, it didn't really recover till the family visits episode several, we- several episodes later.
0: No, it sort of briefly comes back in episode three, but then they do one of my favourite mole challenges and everything just gets destroyed again.
1: But here, yeah, the group, or Ruth has a series of questions. A lot of them are pretty much impossible about that are personal questions each contestant, and if they give her the correct answer, it rules out the possible answers of license plates for her to enter into a computer, and she's allowed two guesses, which means she has a 20% chance of getting back in the game right without even asking anybody in this challenge. And if she gets it right, then she is back in the game, and if not, uh, she turns into a tie-dye hippie.
0: So the episode does begin where we left off last week, with Ruth being stuck in the taxi that would take her home, and Papa Bear comes on the screen and says that the first elimination is a lottery, so she's got the chance to return. In a few seconds, a countdown timer will begin. If she stops it, the car door's open, and she'll return to the group with €5,000. If not, she will leave the game for good, and a paint bomb will explode, turning her, as Logan said, into a tie-dye hippie. And all she has to do to escape is enter the code, which is the license plate of the car that she's sat in. And I had also forgotten... That, to add a mean little twist, her entire luggage is also put in the car, because Papa Bear put it in there before he put Ruth in there, which means that not only if the paint bomb goes off will she get covered in in paint, but so will everything she owns.
1: Luckily, when it comes off the carousel at the airport baggage claim, she'll know which bag is hers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the problem is that it'll still be trailing kind of a red line of paint even when she's going through Skipple. It's going to be mortifying for her. (laughs) <laughs> so inside the car, Ruth finds the nine questions she needs to ask to everyone else, the information on the ten license plates, and also a means to contact the group. If she enters one license plate wrong, the timer will double in speed. If she enters the second one, the car bomb will explode. And as soon as she contacts the group, Kathy is so nonplussed by the idea of her returning.
1: What's even funnier is that Ruth specifically says, Um, I don't want to talk to Kathy about this challenge.
0: like i know i said this in the premiere recap but i'd forgotten how intense kathy is and how laser focused she is and how basically the first few episodes of this season revolve entirely around her and i'd forgotten how early in the season that that really happens
1: and t-boat really jumps in and hammers on anybody else trying to help ruth it's really kathy and t-boat against the rest of the group in this challenge like there's two other people who say they didn't want to help her, but they were, you know, polite and nice about it. But Kathy and Tebow are like, "What the hell? Why did we? You know, why did we? Why did we vote?" Or I guess, or five of them agreed not to help her. The other three were polite about it. It's like, well, five. The other three people were polite and nice, and then Kathy Tebow are telling the people who vote who voted that they wanted to help her, saying, "What? Why the hell did we vote? Majority rules. You guys are are going against the group." It gets ugly fast.
0: And it's really interesting from a mole point of view because this is another challenge like the first one in the premiere where the mole has a dilemma because they can either bring Ruth back or help to bring Ruth back and and increase the group size to make it easier to hide in or they can eliminate €5,000 out of the pot. So it's a real dilemma for the mole of which one they actually choose on this one.
1: So I assume... The, what the mole has to do is just not let that money get into the pot.
0: Yeah, I would assume that they chose money over helping Ruth, but they have to be really careful playing this challenge to make sure that nobody finds them too suspicious after their actions of not helping Ruth. It's kind of a bit of a tightrope for them to walk.
1: And luckily, the mole gets a gift from the heavens because when they do vote on whether or not to help Ruth, it's a five to four vote. <laughs> if you're the mole that that's the if or i guess if you exclude the mole's vote it was potentially 4-4 four, four. and if you're the mole you could not be happier because you know complete chaos and tension is going to ensue and if Kathy isn't the mole and T-boat isn't the mole then if you're the mole you really don't have to do anything <laughs> the job's been done for you
0: No, you have to hope, as mole, you can sit back in this challenge, because if you get anywhere near the intensity of Kathy and Thibaut, someone is going to come for you.
1: And you'll really be isolated for the rest of the game.
0: And one quote that really made me laugh in this challenge was that as soon as Jill heard that there could be a paint bomb involved, he went, I'm voting for the bomb.
1: (laughs) He just, just... (laughs) Which contestant likes to watch Bugs Bunny cartoons in their spare time? (laughs) <laughs> I wonder what would be his reaction if they found out that the car was gonna drive off a gigantic cliff and have a puff of smoke come out once the car crashes <laughs> that it doesn't work the same in real life surprisingly or it's like the explosions you see in the Bugs, Bugs Bunny cartoons too where they get covered in suit or uh, Daffy Duck's uh, beak ends up on the side of his face, and he has to twist it forwards. It's it's not like that. No, it's real life. It's real life.
0: <laughs> so, as you said, the group votes, and it's five four not to help her. And it's so wonderful because I'd completely forgotten about this. Someone wrote a scribble instead of their vote, <laughs> and it's even better <laughs> when you realise later that it's Thibaut who does it, and he only did it. Because he couldn't read it because he didn't have his glasses. He thought it said the word no.
1: (laughs) Mm. Or he says, oh damn it, I meant to put yes. It's
0: like, I know we mock Bertrand from South Africa on this podcast a lot, but I feel like throughout this season, Thibaut is going to get it so bad off us because at every opportunity, Thibaut screws something up.
1: What's funny is that his vision is just as impaired when he's fainted and passed out as when he's completely conscious and with it. They tally up the votes. Let's see, there's a yes, there's a no, a yes, a no. And who wrote Batman symbol? (laughs) What does this even mean? And people accuse Tubot of just completely screwing with the group and wanting to abstain from voting just to see what the hell happens.
0: I think in this challenge, if Thibaut was one of the alignments, he would be Chaotic Evil, because he just tries to mess with people in this one, intentionally or unintentionally. It actually reminds me of
1: something. Did you ever see the very first season of the American version of The the Apprentice? Uh, Not for a while. Okay, so a long time ago, in the first season of The Apprentice, the two teams were, there was this real estate challenge, and they had to figure out which a team was going to try and sell which property or something within the property. And both teams wanted the exact same property, but they didn't know what the other team wanted. So it became this big standoff. So the team captain for the challenge on each team, the, the project manager, they agreed to write on a slip of paper, which one they wanted and then slide it over to the other person. And the one, well, the one team, the women's team writes down which one, which one they wanted and then the guy on the men's team uh, writes down, I want what you want, and slid that over to the other person. (laughs) So he got to see what the women's team wanted, and then the women's team was completely pissed off with him because he never gave a straight answer. And that's what it reminds me of Tibbo just not even writing down yes or no. He just wanted to see where everyone else stands, allegedly.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like he's just such a berk. What's a Burke? Just means he's an idiot. (laughs) He's just such a moron in this challenge, and as much as I obviously have a bit of a soft spot for him, he's just an idiot here.
1: (laughs) And these, these questions are brutal. Yeah,
0: they are. So, Bruno breaks the news to Ruth that nobody wants to help her. And understandably she's a little bit heartbroken as you would be if you just found out that in less than an hour a paint bomb's gonna explode all over you and nobody is willing to help. And it was Thibaut, Kathy, Manuela Mark and Stein who voted no, and then Bruno, Hannah, Jill, and Isabel voted yes. And Ruth then tries to get them to help her so she can at least eliminate four of the number plates. So the first question is for Hannah. All she has to do is tell Ruth what the brand of her boyfriend's glasses is. And she says that it's Chanel. The second question's for Bruno, and that is whether he has a book in his living room that is a story about a mole who has poo on his head. He says yes. <laughs> and after the second question's asked, the no-voters disagree with the decision of the yes-voters to help, so the game stops again. And then after they agree to back off, the third question is for Isabel, and her question is that if she looks out from her apartment window, she sees a sign for Vasen Zonen. What type of business is it? Thibaut, being a chaotic evil, leads her astray and says it's an NV. And then the only other question she gets to ask is which electronic company's billboard is in Times Square on a post on Jill's wall? He has a guess at Nokia, but it is actually Samsung. And shocking nobody, after the first two questions get asked, Kathy obviously steps in and says, Why are you even helping her? We agreed as a group that we weren't helping her.
1: I don't know if you agreed as a group, you agreed as five individuals not to help her. <laughs>
0: But before we actually see Ezra and Jill agree to help her, she actually says over the um over the walkie talkie that there's thirty five minutes left. And by the time that she's got the answer for Jill's question, if you look at the clock, it actually says thirty nine seventeen. So to quote my good friend Anthony Williams, there is a little bit of monkeying with the timeline with this challenge.
1: I guess there's just so much going on and you wanna show the right tension at the right moments in the editing suite.
0: Yeah, but still, I still spotted it arguably on my second watch of this in five years, but I still managed to pick up on it, and they usually do cut this sort of thing out if they don't want me to spot it. So, after the four do decide to help her, Ruth is pretty much on her own and decides to go for the one-in-three chance that she's got. So the first one she enters is AFH 129, which is, of course, wrong, so the timer doubles.
1: Her plea... Oh, that was a brutal plea to hear where she's like, is anyone else gonna help me? No? I guess I'll do this myself. If I die from this bomb, please remember me fondly. Please, just tell my kids I love them. Question. Uh, What sign is outside of Ruth's kid's house? (laughs) What brand are their glasses? Uh, What country was their friend's third grade school teacher from? And which contestant was born in Kosovo? Was that one of the questions? Because we get a brief snippet. And at one point, she's like, oh, Kosovo.
0: I don't know. I completely kind of skipped over that when I was doing my notes.
1: Yeah, because there's like three questions because of some of the, well, the the people who refused to help her. We just get uh, like a quick montage of Ruth flipping through the questions. And one of them was like, which country was this contestant born? She's like, uh, I guess Kosovo. So I'm wondering who the hell would have been born in Kosovo?
0: Yeah, unless it was something like, which country did this person meet their significant other in?
1: Yeah, who meets... I don't know if too many Belgian-Kosovar couples. <laughs> you never know, because Cathy
0: does live in Greece.
1: Yeah, but Greece is a bit more well-known or iconic and more populated than, say, Kosovo.
0: Yeah, but is there really a significant Flemish community in Greece? Probably. Other than Cathy and her husband and her kids now?
1: <laughs> well, now we have a whole season of Belgian mole in Greece, so and they had to intentionally avoid uh, major locations to avoid being spotted, so I'm guessing there's got to be some Belgians in Greece, certainly more than in Kosovo. I know
0: there's at least one, because Papa Bear did say that during the filming he got asked by someone in a hotel whether he was there filming the mole, and he ended up having to um, pretend that he wasn't Belgian, I think it was. In Kosovo? No, in Greece. Oh, when they were filming the Greek season, this is. Oh, he was there during that. I didn't know that. So we don't see which number plate Ruth types in second, but in a beautiful bit of editing, they make us think that she's typed it in right, but actually she's wrong. Time slows down. Everything explodes. It's wonderful.
1: And they all get to watch it explode, and they they all get to see it blow up in her face. <laughs> When they say, "Oh, that's what? What happened to you, Ruth?" Oh, I, I on my on the quiz, I went straight ticket on one suspect, and then it all blew up in my face.
0: Like I know we're not going to get into the habit of eulogizing first boots, despite the fact they all get montages, which makes you laugh so hard every time it happens. But Ruth is genuinely one of the most tragic figures in reality TV history, in my opinion. Firstly, she looks like a complete idiot in the first episode. She goes straight ticket on the first quiz, which is never a good idea. She gets eliminated, gets the chance to come back. Nobody's willing to help her, basically. And then she leaves Argentina with a paint-covered rucksack. And when I say that she is covered, she is covered head-to-toe in red paint. It is a terrible way for her to go.
1: I went to Argentina to play the mole, and all I got was a slousy t-shirt covered in paint. <laughs>
0: Yeah, she is utterly destroyed by
1: this show. Well, if Tide ever needs a spokesperson for their detergent, Ruth has got a good gig lined up.
0: So, anyway, let's ignore Ruth's existence completely and move on. Goodbye, Ruth. Goodbye, Ruth. So we do get a few uh, little eulogies for Ruth before, um, before we actually do forget about her. Beginning with one of my favorites, which is beautifully sympathetic Kathy going, well, if she was more open and I knew her better, I might have helped her, but I didn't. So bye, Ruth.
1: (laughs) They will not be friends on Facebook.
0: Kathy is utterly brutal here, and it's wonderful. And then uh, Manuela and Stein also give their eulogies. Manuela says she's already having regrets, and Stein says sorry, even though the words
1: probably mean nothing. Yeah, do they even have a word for that in Flemish?
0: Yeah, I believe it. fuck off, Ruth. Hot for Dumb. So the remaining nine wake up on day four in Cabra Corral, and Bruno is definitely hungover.
1: They all complained that they drank- a lot of them said they were hungover. Yeah, maybe the alcohol was impairing
0: their judgement as to whether to help the most tragic figure in reality TV history.
1: let's let's ask nine inebriated people to remember what company's cell phone or what cell phone company is in a is on is in a painting on a contestant's wall in their house that they haven't been to for several weeks because when i look at a painting i'm like oh my god there's a nokia there's a nokia building shit i gotta buy this I would
0: argue that there was no chance in hell that Ruth was ever going to win that challenge, even if everyone wanted to help her. The odds were there, though. The odds were there, but even when she got half of the group to help her, it still only reduced her chance to one in three because not everybody helped her.
1: Still better than being executed 99% of the time.
0: Yeah, I would argue that because the mole almost certainly knew what the correct number plate was, that even if everyone had agreed to help her, the mole could have still discarded the number plate that was correct, and therefore made them lose the challenge regardless.
1: Very strong possibility.
0: You have to bear in mind that all it takes for the mole to win, and for Ruth not to come back, is for the mole to give one wrong answer, and that discard the correct number plate.
1: True. Would have been easy to keep that 5k out of the pot. So it's a peace
0: offering for sending Ruth home, Kathy makes Isabel and Jill breakfast in bed, and she says she's trying to shake her bitchy image, and given what we know about the next sort of episode and a half, two episodes, something tells me that's not going to succeed.
1: Essentially it's, here's here's some breakfast, guys. Now stay in the same fucking seat for the next three meals so I can take notes on you.
0: (laughs) And if you just turn the camera slightly, you'll see Bart in the background just going, Do you want breakfast in bed, or do you want to find out who the mole is?
1: Well, we know what Kathy's answer is. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, the difference with Bart, though, is that Bart would eat all the breakfasts. Like, Kathy would have to... Kathy tries to make uh, Bart breakfast in bed. He'll just assume both plates are for him.
0: Also, fun behind-the-scenes story, it was going to be Mark and Kathy who brought breakfast in bed in, but Mark was a little bit worried that he might see Jill in less than full clothing when he went to deliver the breakfast in bed. So, just made Kathy do it instead.
1: He wore the sleeping bag as a blindfold.
0: Yeah, he just wasn't confident enough to walk into Jill's bedroom after they got off on the wrong foot last week.
1: I don't want to see them getting off on the wrong foot.
0: He also didn't know for certain whether uh, gay people eat breakfast or not, so just sent Kathy in to deliver
1: it just to be safe. <laughs> is it three meals a day? Or is it like a nice salad and then, I don't know, some sort of complimentary dish? <laughs> It's like an after-school special with Mark. It's such a shame that we lose him this week, because genuinely
0: I could spend the rest of the season just doing Mark learns things about gay people jokes. It's already my favourite, and we're only two episodes in.
1: what would have been great is is if later on, like episode five or something, he's like, what? Women can be gay too? I thought it only applied to men. Mind blown. How does that even work? <laughs> I don't understand. Like you, you don't like how 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 do you not want that in your brain?
0: <laughs> and Papaver meets them on the Isla de los Decios. With a really simple challenge. They must split into two groups and must switch seats between two banana boats that are being towed by a speedboat. And they had 30 minutes to switch, and if they manage to switch all nine people, they earn 4,000 euros for the pot.
1: I think a challenge involving two bananas made Mark really uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, Mark did ask whether he could wear his sleeping bag for this challenge, and Papa Bear just turned around and went, No bueno, amigo. <laughs>
1: so- he wears a sleeping bag on the boat and tries to jump It's like a hop. It's a hop from the boat. It's just a sleeping bag completely drenched for the rest of the time in the game.
0: Mark is just ever so slightly uncomfortable by the concept of riding two inflatable bananas with other men. That's all it is. <laughs>
1: Maybe he he's so essentially self-evicted with this second execution just through, through the quiz.
0: Yeah, he was just like, <laughs> I can't spend another minute riding bananas with other men. It's just not for me, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, and as you said to me when you watched this episode yesterday, this is possibly the fastest challenge in mole history. It goes so fast.
1: I think it was... I almost want to go back right now and just get an exact time on it. I don't think it lasted more than about two or three minutes. I don't, does it even reach two minutes? I think the explanation was longer than the challenge itself.
0: Yeah, because this is a really rapid fire challenge. When half of the episode was actually taken up by the Ruth potential elimination game,
1: by the paint bomb, and then the following one. Yeah, let's let's get a timestamp on on this. Are we going? Do are we including Jill's explanation, or from when the challenge starts? Um,
0: if you have a look at when Papa Bear's explanation finishes, and then look at the end of the challenge and see which bit's longer.
1: Okay, I'm going from when he says "Who goes where?" because that's essentially when the contestants are deciding. See, that's eighteen forty-eight. Holy shit, it's fast. <laughs> Holy crap. Okay, so the challenge st- starts from after Jill's explanation. This is including like discussion of who goes where on the boats. It includes all of that. So that starts at eighteen minutes and forty-eight seconds in the episode, and ends at twenty-one minutes and twenty-seven seconds which puts it at two, 2 minutes and 40. That's 2 minutes and... Yeah. <laughs> and even their celebration is like 2 seconds and then they're put into the cars right away. And then if you just want to go by when they're in, like get into the boats, after like they're done chatting about who goes where, then it is... Okay, so they don't even get into the boats until 19 minutes and 18 seconds.
0: So that is 2 minutes and 10 then.
1: Yeah. (laughs) The crazy thing is that there is a 30-minute time limit, and they don't get it until 1 minute and 47 seconds were left in the challenge. So yeah, there's
0: a whole heap of falling, and with just over five minutes left, they make six switches, but then Mark overshoots, probably because he was dressed in his sleeping bag to avoid being in close contact with other men while riding bananas. And with 106 seconds left, they managed to make the switches and earn €4,000 for the pots. And also, as they're getting back in the cars, the song Bambaleo plays, which is highly inappropriate because I know for a fact this show did not air on a Wednesday, and Bambaleo must only be played on a Wednesday. I don't get it. Yeah, you weren't meant to. It's a UK reference. So basically, my favourite radio show over here is presented by a guy called Scott Mills, and every Wednesday afternoon he plays Bambaleo by the Gypsy Kings, and essentially everyone kind of loses their mind and celebrates it being midweek. Oh. Oh. And it's got to the point where, if it's played on any other radio station at any other time than a Wednesday afternoon, he will get tweets off people going, They're playing Bambaleo on this radio station. That is not appropriate at this time of day. Oh. So, after the challenge, they drive to San Lorenzo, which is a suburb of Salta. Tibo says that the game is quickly split into two groups, those who take notes and those who don't. And Surprise, surprise, Kathy is queen of note-taking, along with Jill and Tibo. And Kathy says that you can only get through a few episodes without note-taking, or by being the mole. And contrast that with Manuela, who says she just wants to have a bit of fun, and not take the game so seriously.
1: All I wanna do is have some fun. And Manuela
0: says she'd be shocked if it was Isabel who's the mole, as she's too open with the group. And Kathy says she's beginning to discount Jill, as he's way too emotional after the Ruth bomb challenge, and he felt so guilty. Bruno says that Mark was playing far too hard as soon as the no vote was revealed. And then Bear meets him in San Lorenzo on day five and says that there are two places that Argentines find holy, their church and their football stadium. They need to split into two groups, six sporty pilgrims and three clever footballers.
1: In other words, people who aren't suspected as the mole are in one group and all of the suspicious people are in the other group so they can win at least one challenge.
0: Yeah, and I'd forgotten how much fun this split challenge is because it is really, really fun. Because it ends up being Hannah, Stein and Isabel who are clever footballers and the other six are the Sporty Pilgrims. Yeah, so the six pilgrims drive up into the mountains, and Bruno insists upon stopping for coca, because apparently it's a cure for altitude sickness. Not that that helps Manuela later in the challenge. Spoilers.
1: Doesn't cure your scraped knees.
0: No. And the group must cycle up a road to a church which has an elevation of 3,375 metres. Along the way, there are boards with religious information which they've got to try and remember. In the chapel, a priest will ask one person one question. If they are right, they earn €3,000 for the pots. And they've got 90 minutes to make the climb. Only those who complete the climb will be able to help with the question at the top. And along the way, they get the names of the last ten popes, the fourteen stations of the cross, a picture of the Last Supper with which disciples sat where, and Hail Mary in Spanish to
1: memorise. As I said, like, Kathy and Jill's work together closely on a lot of challenges. They have a really legitimate bond.
0: Yeah, it's probably because they're approaching this game in exactly the same way, which is laser-focused, not letting anyone come in their way.
1: Laser-focused and intense. Yeah.
0: Kathy has, I would say, the intensity of the pair of them, because Jill just kind of takes a step back and lets her be a screaming banshee at times. But it's really interesting to see the relationship that forms with them starting in this episode.
1: Well, that even was in episode one, where they were joking around on the same tables together uh, in breakfast, uh... At breakfast, the first the on the first morning of the game too.
0: Yeah, I don't think we really see their bond be formed until this challenge, though. It's interesting to watch this challenge and go for the first time. Yeah, Kathy and Jill are really a pair in this now. Yeah. So quite quickly, Mark and Manuela struggle at the back. Well, more Manuela because uh, she does say that the coca did not help, and Jill proves to have quite a good memory because he has most of the Hail Mary memorized in Spanish. Pretty soon after reading it. And Thibaut says that the Popes will be the most important, as the current Pope is Argentinian. And this is a running joke that I've spotted in the first few episodes, is that anything you see Tibo say on screen will never come true. We had it last week with him saying that Ruth was definitely the mole, he's 100% confident Ruth was not the mole, she went home first. You have him say it here where he goes, yeah the Popes will be the most important because the current Pope's Argentinian, the Popes are ultimately irrelevant to this challenge, and... Twice in the first three episodes of this season, you see Thibaut go, I am 100% confident on who the mole is. And it's like, dude, you shouldn't be confident. You're completely wrong.
1: Even wrong multiple times. Maybe it's time to take a step back and be a bit more cautious.
0: Yeah, I'd forgotten that Thibaut is essentially the James Miller of this season.
1: The Oracle. I was about to say that, like one, no one's going to get the uh, Survivor pullout reference.
0: <laughs> Anything you see him say is wrong.
1: Yeah, especially what really didn't come true was on his application when he said that he loves being blindfolded and also loves heights. It's like, man, Thibaut, you really don't, you gotta really uh, learn more about yourself.
0: So Thibaut's tyre gets a puncture, and they decide to leave him behind, and then Manuela falls off her bike, luckily on gravel, and injures her knee. And she tells Mark to leave her behind with 17 minutes left on the clock, and Jill, Kathy, Bruno, and Mark all make it to the top of the mountain and decide to take a vote as to who goes in, and they choose Jill. You can come back out once to confer, and the question is to put all 14 Stations of the Cross in order. However, they only saw 11 of them.
1: As soon as you think, wow, 14 things need to be in the correct sequence, and I only saw 11 of them, do you even bother going back into the chapel for a second time?
0: No, as soon as they started missing signs, you're like, yeah, it's game over here, isn't it? But it's probably for the best that it was anyone other than Mark going into the chapel, because if he had to come out of somewhere to confer, he might have been a little bit uncomfortable with the concept. (sighs) Come out. Yes. I'm coming out, guys! So, something else I had forgotten about this challenge, by the way, is the fact that on no less than three occasions, Gilles swears in the chapel, apologises to the priest, and then does it again anyway. And it just becomes this recurring thing where he can't stop swearing
1: in a church. Yeah, I noticed that too. Just F bomb. He's like, I'm not supposed to be in, not say that in here. Oh, F bomb, F bomb, F bomb. Fuck, fuck, fuck. (laughs) You have Tourette's, my son.
0: I had genuinely forgotten how sweary Jill is.
1: Oh, I haven't.
0: He is really, really sweary at times.
1: He's, I think, the most sweary contestant that, are the contestant who's uttered the most profanity of probably any contestant on reality TV or close to it.
0: I'd be genuinely interested to know if, after this season, the contestants were told not to swear as much, because nobody comes even close to Jill after this season.
1: Well, at least with Belgian television, they don't get censored. They can use that footage.
0: Yeah, but if you think about it, in the seasons following this one, no one even ever comes close to Jill. There's so much less swearing that we actually hear.
1: That could just be because the contestants, though, may not be, uh, may not be a set rule. It's not like, say, the American or Canadian shows where we know they limit it, how much they swear on TV, where they outright tell the contestants, hey, you got to limit it, but with uh, with Jill's, it's, it's constant, so we, we know that they're not limiting or removing footage of him.
0: Yeah. So Kathy jokes that he's taking forever in the chapel, is he making a confession that he's the mole? <laughs> and then, with seven minutes to go, she ends up biking down the hill to try and find the missing the missing stations of the cross that they'd missed. With three minutes left, she still isn't back, so Gilles runs back in, has a guess, and is wrong, and earns no money for the pot. At which point, he swears again twice. And he ended up having one pair wrong, which is enough to fail this challenge.
1: My favourite part is the subtle thing in the edit, where they just show the priest casually going on his bike and cycling away.
0: Yeah, he's not having any trouble with the altitude whatsoever, despite the fact that Manuel is just kind of limping up the hill, dying.
1: <laughs> Maybe he competes in Tour de France. He is God in those wheels. They call him the Holy Roller.
0: So, for their side of the challenge, Hannah, Isabel and Stein are accompanied by Papabert to the local football stadium, and they win €3,000 by scoring three penalties against the goalkeeper of the local team. There are ten brain teasers set up on the pitch. When they begin thinking, a flat ball will begin inflating. If they take too long, it explodes and is unusable. Any puzzles that they solve mean balls that they can use to score against the goalkeeper. And I do have to say, for a challenge that revolves around ten brain teasers, we only actually see two of them. And seven of those eight we don't see are the ones that they solve. And it sort of defies the rule that they've set up in Leicester seasons, which goes against what I say, which is that watching people solve puzzles is never interesting. Because in later seasons, you would see every detail of them solving puzzles. In this season, they just kind of go, "Yeah, we know that watching people solve puzzles isn't particularly interesting, so we're just going to skip over it because they were successful with that bit."
1: Yeah, they they just kept the fun one in. I th- I think I talked about the last one where there's the uh, where you have to figure out which way the bus is. That kindergartners and first graders are able to do just because they have that. You know, they know what they know what they're looking for. Meanwhile, when you're an adult, you're thinking of so many different things when you look at a picture of a bus and the signs. Like, Hannah was going on about the colours and, uh, just I don't know, just looking at the entire picture while a a little kid is just like, oh yeah, you can't see the door, so it has to be going the other way.
0: Yeah, it's not just toddlers who would solve this puzzle, though, because my first thought when I saw it was they drive on the right, therefore it's heading towards Salta, which is on the left of our picture.
1: What's funny, too, is that as soon as, they, as soon as they find out they're wrong, Hannah's like, oh, that's, of course, it's so obvious. It's, it's a habit of hers after each time she gets stumped by a little mini game or puzzle. Yeah. I like how there was another explosion with the soccer balls when they got it wrong.
0: Yeah, it's another one of those ideas that we like to talk about with Belgian Mole, where they go, we've got this great challenge of making themselves brain teasers, what can we use as a timer? I know, we'll explode footballs. And then you have to realise that there is the chance of people going I can hear explosions, I better ring the police here. This could be dangerous.
1: I can assure you that Argentina is not known for a lack of political unrest. (laughs) (laughs) There's an explosion, and there's law enforcement nearby. They're thinking something's going on.
0: Yeah, they're thinking shit's about to go down.
1: Especially in the later episodes, once they go to La Plata. Hmm.
0: So they earn seven balls and must each try and score at least once, and they have to get three in the net to win the €3,000. And Hannah's up first, hers is easily caught. Stein's first attempt is the first success. Isabel's up third and she gets caught. And then Stein's second attempt is also successful, as is his third, winning €3,000. And then Papa Bear has a final offer for them. If they want to gamble, they can take one more penalty. If it's scored, they will double their winnings. If not, they will earn nothing for this challenge. And Hannah and Isabel both want to gamble, and Papa there asks for the fun who's taking it, and then just throws the ball straight to Stein. And he shoots, and the goalkeeper goes the wrong way, meaning they earn
1: €6,000 for the pot. And that's the time that nobody suspected Stein for the rest of the season.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know we discussed this last week, but it's really interesting to watch Stein, because he earns so much money for the team throughout every challenge that he possibly can. There is like one or two where he personally does not earn money. And nobody suspects him as a result.
1: Well, he never attempted to sabotage anything. He put maximum effort into every challenge. So there's no way anyone was going to suspect him after having a perfect run of two episodes. Yeah, but
0: then you look at the next scene after this, which is Hannah, Isabel, and Stein trying to come up with a cover story to minimise the damage that's going to be done for them. Because they know that Stein ain't the mole. And they can't have their advantage of knowing that Stein's not the mole be translated to everyone else. Because the best tactic you can have in the mole is trying to make other people suspect you, if you're a contestant.
1: Yeah, if you're Hannah and Isabel, you realise, okay, we know what really happened here, we know for sure Stein is not the mole, but for us to advance further into the game, we need everyone else to think Stein is the mole. So that was interesting, that really gave Hannah and Isabel... Uh, an advantage in the game to be like well, okay, Stein really went really far out of his way to earn six thousand euros for the pot, and he succeeded with the banana boat, and well, along with everyone else. And then the first episode, he he was the very last one, uh, didn't have to take the plunge, but he did. Just all these different things that it's like, man, Stein, if you want to play the mole a little bit better, you got to have some sort of suspicion upon yourself. Essentially, Hannah and Isabel are playing the game for him, because because Stein wasn't going to come up with that lie that he didn't solve the that he didn't really participate in solving the puzzles. That was all Hannah and Isabel needing to do the legwork on that.
0: Yeah, so they decide to try and bend the truth and make themselves a little bit more suspicious after such a successful performance, and they decide to have Hannah and Isabel underplay Stein's performance in front of everyone else at dinner that evening. And they earned 6,000 euros of possible 9,000 for this pair of challenges, 10,000 euros of possible 18,000 for the episode, and 16,500 out of possible 35,000 for the season so far.
1: And all of the group with all of the suspicious people did not earn any money in this challenge.
0: Shock Gasparra. <laughs> yeah. And then after dinner and a big glass of wine, it's time for the test. 20 questions on the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows least goes home, hopefully not via paint bomb. And Thibaut said that he'd heard Stein wasn't very useful at the challenge earlier, despite scoring all the penalties. Stein says that Gilles memorised Hail Mary in Spanish, and if he's the mole, it would be perfect to try and get into the chapel, knowing that that wasn't the correct thing to memorise. Bruno says he's starting to suspect Stein and Kathy. Kathy really wants to go into the chapel, but didn't have anything memorised. Jill suspects Bruno because he'd be a good mole. Kathy says Bruno is suspicious after memorising everything, and then saying he didn't know when he got to the top of the mountain. Isabel's also on Kathy. She's been acting more suspicious every day but she's wondering whether she's just playing hard. Manuela says she's spreading between Kathy and Jill, and Mark says that he doesn't think anyone suspects him, but if he keeps slipping on through without writing things down, that will make him more suspicious.
1: He couldn't find a pen in five days.
0: (laughs) No, and they're staying in nice hotels. At least steal one from a hotel. There is no excuse two episodes in to not have a pen for your diary yet.
1: Donde es un estilo...
0: And at the execution, Bruno, Kathy, Thibault and Jill all get green screens before Mark is the second person sent home, and Manuela is heartbroken. Yep. So next week, there is a paintball game, the chain gang game returns, and Kathy cries on the phone.
1: One thing I want to point out with these first two episodes is that, in other versions, there were very clear situations where an exemption or fragon could be brought into play, For instance, say, in the first episode, when they're dangling above the water, whoever was last to take the plunge, which was Stein, if that was the American version, I guarantee you there would have been an exemption offer right then saying, well, everyone else has jumped, but if you don't jump, you get an exemption, but no money goes into the pot. And here in the second challenge, with Jules going into the chapel, once he's in the chapel, I'm sure there would have been there would have been some sort of offer, or with Stein taking that last uh, double or nothing penalty shot. There definitely would have been twists. These are all—all all these challenges are played in a very straightforward manner with no real dilemmas at all.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting that you say that because after this episode, pretty much every episode up until episode six, episode seven has an exemption game of some description or a yoker game of some description, and it begins from Chenggang next week. So have you got anything else you want to say? We didn't really eulogize Mark at all.
1: Eh, I have nothing else to add about this episode. Mark didn't take any notes for two rounds, and shockingly enough, he's the first person to leave the game after Ruth is gone.
0: Yeah, I would say we've never seen anyone like Mark since, because the old man archetype is a thing, but we've never seen any old man archetype filler who is so pig-headed about not taking notes, for example.
1: There's a big lesson learned here for ever, for all the subsequent seasons, is that contestants know, hey, I should take a note. Don't take zero notes, just take at least one note, and you'll be in better shape. <laughs> you'll have a fighting chance to spread on the quizzes.
0: I'm just trying to recall, is there a challenge coming up in this season where everyone gets to read each other's mole diaries?
1: They like to do that Final Four, don't they?
0: Is it the treehouse one or is that South Africa?
1: Might be. I thought there was like one where there was like access to such and such's diary.
0: <laughs> because I was thinking there is absolutely no benefit in looking in Mark's diary whatsoever, even if you get the option.
1: Yeah. Toilets it's it's for the camping challenges, I guess that's free toilet paper.
0: That is true. And as we found out with uh, the coronavirus pandemic. Um, people love toilet paper, so maybe Mark's diary is going to become useful in that respect.
1: It's more expensive than gasoline now.
0: Yeah. So, thank you for listening to our Demol Belgi Argentina recap. We'll be back next week to recap episode 3, and also it's Logan's birthday episode. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram where we are Worries, or you can email us at contact at Logan is on Twitter at Logs for Quacky, and I'm MJ Halmstone. See you next week.
1: Peace out and just chill till the next of flavoring.